You're listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs, who I'm sure is devastated by the loss of his Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC Divisional Playoff game to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, I was wasn't going to bring it up because it was <laughs> it was so devastating. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, the home team lost the sports ball today, and uh, how are you coping with the loss? Well, the podcast is, is helping. It's giving me a, a positive thing to look forward to doing. But um, but yeah, you know, I, I'll make it through. How about you? How, how, how are you doing today? Doing well. I am also bummed that the Steelers lost because I think the Patriots are going to steamroll the Jags. Uh, and I'm not thrilled about the Patriots getting another Super Bowl. But in other news, uh, my students all auditioned for Allstate Band today and they did very well. So that was good. And I've got school off tomorrow to jam drafts during the release oh my of God, Magic I'm Online. I'm so jealous. Yeah, snow day hype. Oh, that's so good. Oh, you're going to have a blast, man. Are you just like going to be watching the clock tick down until the Rivals events go live? Oh, yeah. I'm going to be waking up, setting my alarm, editing the podcast, and then hopping in the first draft queue. Amazing. I can't wait to see how this draft format differs from the sealed format, which we had a chance to check out thanks to the Magic Online pre-release events from Thursday to Friday. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, that was great. I mean, they weren't the best value. That's uh, no secret to anyone. But it was better than nothing. It was nice to get a, a shot at playing the events online before the paper events over the weekend and then before the draft events go live tomorrow. I agree. I was initially like bummed that they didn't go all the way until Monday. And then once I realized how bad EV they were, I was kind of glad they were done after 24 hours because had they been available, I would have kept doing them and kept yep. losing money. So <laughs> it's yep. good that they limited them to 24 hours. So, uh, so let's get a little trophy leaderboard update. How did the sealed events go for you? Uh, I did two on my own and went six and two, made it to the finals once, uh, three and one in both of them. Uh, and then I did another over Skype with my brother, uh, and we forrowed that one together. But uh, the trophy is nice. under his name, not mine. So I don't know if that actually qualifies or not. I think that's fine. And how uh, how about Vintage Cube? Vintage Cube, I have 35 drafts, 12 trophies, 69 and 36 record for a 66% win rate. You beast. You're just like never worse than 66% in any format, are you? I don't know. It's It's been 66% for a while, but I'm sure it'll dip down eventually. That's great. So I did three online sealed events, two three ones and a 2-2. Two two. Uh, and then I did a live event this weekend. Uh, it was like a perfect 32 Swiss round. Uh, and I 4-1 that to take fourth place, which was pretty sweet. Woo-woo. Vintage Cube, I did not finish quite well. I got 16 trophies in, I actually don't know how many drafts, um, but my record was 119 to 76, so only 61%. I felt like I was up against some variants, but I also feel feel like I attached myself maybe too much to the, the Sultai good stuff decks and the black-white good stuff decks that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Although open, a lot of the times in draft were perhaps not the most powerful things I could have been doing. Interesting. I think you did a lot of stip drafts too. That's my, my record also has taken a dip recently due to doing some stip drafts. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I was was doing some stuff. That That's super fun though to do stipulation drafts on stream. I, I really enjoyed doing that. I wouldn't trade that for a better win rate. No, I agree. I, have, I would not have thought I liked them, but I enjoyed them a ton. It's like really fun to stretch your brain 
brain like in the draft portion to figure out how to draft well under like under restrictions i really enjoyed it way more than i thought it was going to yeah i mean cube really lends itself to that have you ever done a back draft before where you try to draft the worst deck you try and draft the worst deck and then or you try and draft you draft the worst pool and then you give that pool to someone else and the goal is to have your pool not like be the one that can't win a game yeah like to 03 <laughs> yeah it's it's very fun it just makes you think about card evaluations in a much much different way no i've never done that that sounds sweet yeah it's sweet all right so we've got a lot to talk about we did have a chance to dive into rivals of ixalan this week and we're gonna get into all the nitty-gritties of what we think about our first impressions from the format our first report before we do that we want to reach out and thank some of our new patrons this week. Yes, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where you can give back to the show if you so choose. You can throw a dollar our way each episode. It's a really nice way for podcasts, things that aren't like one-off events to get recurring financial endorsements. So we want to reach out and thank Aaron, Duncan, Matt, James, and Eric for joining the Lords of Limited Patreon this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. For your support, it means the world to us. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And if you go to our Patreon page and check it out now, it looks infinitely better. So huge shout out to Sweek76, who made some new graphics for us uh, for free just because he couldn't stand the way our Patreon page looks. So now it looks <laughs> infinitely more professional. Uh, we got a nice banner and got some sweet new ways to post episodes. So you should go check it out. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward to spicing up that page with those new graphics. All right, so we've got a couple general questions we want to look at in the format, and then some nitty-gritty things about our sealed impressions, and then even nittier and grittier, looking at some card-by-card evaluations of things that may have shifted for us since our initial impressions last week. Yeah, let's do it. So the first question for the only new mechanic for Rivals of Ixalan in Ascend is, how easy is it to get the city's blessing. Yeah, I think this is going to be two different answers for draft and sealed. And and to be honest, my experience in sealed was different than the masses, I think. Everyone I've talked to said it's super easy to get ascend in sealed. And my experience was that it was not. Frequently games were over too quickly in the three seals that I did for ascend to be relevant at all, but everyone I've talked to says it is, so I'm going to kind of trust uh, everyone else. What what was your experience with that? My experience was that it was very easy to get ascend. Get the city's blessing rather, though I think I'm going to just continue to call it getting ascend. Yes, I agree. <laughs> getting much, the city's much blessing. Easier. Yes. <laughs> I found I, I wish I, I had like sort of taken notes about when it happened, like which turn it happened. But my impression was that it was like on average like turn six and a half or something. That seems crazy to me. So you've got like that's hitting all your land drops, six lands and like still having cast four creatures that are stuck around. Right, but so but you're thinking about like and what we'll get to later is what I think is, is very important and something that I think both of us identified. And we'll put the caveat here uh, so we don't have to keep saying it, but that we've only done matches of sealed. So we don't know what the tempo of draft will be like and how different it will be. I'm guessing it's going to be faster. But in sealed, I found that curving out was important. And so if you go like two drop, three drop, four drop, or like two drop, three drop, double spell, you're almost there. Two drop, three drop, four drop, you're at seven already. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I think another key thing too, I, I don't know if you read PV's like Channel Fireball pre-release article. I did not. One of the points he made in there for his sealed thing was that it was going to be fairly easy to get ascend in sealed because all of the two drops are essentially unblockable. So like, it's not like you're trading off 
early in the game because you're either like staring at each other or you're playing two drops that are attacking each other but that aren't trading in combat because they've all got evasion yeah that makes total sense to me yeah or i think what happens so if you're trading that if you're like racing in terms of unblockable two drops i think you can get there and i also think a big experience i had was that this format board stalled a lot and came down to uh evasion and bombs slash answering someone's bomb a lot of the times i felt like you were just like i'll play my thing that i don't want to attack into your thing and then we're just like staring down two drops three drops four drops facing each other off and then we're going to get to the city's blessing that way yeah i found i'd say my matches were like two-thirds in favor of like racing versus one-third board stalls but i had a similar experience in the board stalls i definitely had some games that stalled out that came down to like me having a single flyer to attack for the win for sure i was streaming one of my sealed events on thursday and someone in chat i I had some uh, obnoxious board stall and someone in chat was like literally every magic streamer right now is in a board board stall stall. yeah (laughs) i was like that does not bode well for the sealed format Okay, so I think, at least for Sealed, it seems like I'm on Ascend is pretty easy and you're on the game's finish more often than not before it matters. Well, yeah, so the best decks to me that I faced and that I was playing were all, like, good aggressive decks that had, like, a couple rares at, like, the five or six drop slot to clean up with. But, like, there were some very aggressive starts I faced down. My only losses were to very good aggro decks in the Sealed pool. Yeah, but, so I I agree, my losses were very often to like streamlined aggressive decks but that didn't happen very often i mean you're looking at you can take a look at your win rate you can take a look at my win rate we weren't losing that often and so we were facing those decks not the majority of the time i guess yeah but i would say i also played aggressively slanted decks that had like Mm. good good top end or good late game uh that was what all all three of my builds were except the one i played with my brother was just like rears.deck that's very interesting i had i guess this is now is as good a time as any to to get into maybe more specifics about the the decks that i did play but so i had i found that this format has like super interesting pools each of my pools took a lot of time to figure out what the optimal deck was and i often ended up with two decks at the paper pre-release i sleeved up a second deck nice that I sided into. I mean, it w- didn't quite work out, but I had like, I had a pretty janky four color deck that I thought was proper to start because of what I evaluated the format to be, which was board stalls. And I had like a bomb rare that I really wanted to take advantage of. And I had a shapers of nature as a mana sink. Um, but I had a like really aggressive black red deck, but I didn't have what you just said, which I think were, were important pieces, which is I didn't have any bombs and I didn't have any catch all removal. You know, I had like a lightning strike and a bombard, but I didn't have any of, uh, what is it, Impune, right? That's the, the two black black kill spell? Uh, Impale. Impale, there we go. <laughs> Name that card. So I didn't have any of those like catch-all spells, so I felt like I was going to lose to bombs. Like if I couldn't curve out on my opponent on the play, I was probably going to fall behind and not have ways to catch up against like the more powerful decks and certainly the more powerful cards in the format. Yeah, that makes sense. But I do think those decks exist. I just think they're they're kind of rare to come by in Sealed. I had a similar experience in building my pools. My first pool, I built four different decks, like all very, very different decks and all viable, I think. The second one, I built two decks uh, that were good at different things. And then the one I the one I did with my brother just had one bonkers black whites deck that was like obviously the best deck to play. Yeah, I saw that you posted that in Discord, I think. It was gross. Really good. All right, so the second 
large question. I don't think this will take that much of a discussion, but do we feel like this is a prince or a pauper format? So we look back at Ixalan, that was, I think we can agree, a pauper format. That was sort of a, a format built around the commons in the set and not so much the bombs. What do you think about Rivals? Certainly the sealed format seems like a prince format to me. I'm hopeful that the draft format is going to be fast enough that you can get underneath some of those sweet, sweet rares with like a good commons, uncommons aggro build, because the the draft format's going to be pretty unfun if it comes down to the rares, I think. <laughs> right, like, what was the, the last format that, that sort of felt like that was like Fate Reforged, where it was like, I open my bomb, I play my bomb, I win with my bomb. Yep. And if that's what Rivals is, that's going to be, that's going to get old pretty quickly. I don't think there's quite the number of bombs that there were in Fate Reforged, but I think they're just like the few that are, or maybe like the five to 10 that are insanely good are insanely good. Yeah. So we wanted to look at some specific cards that have gone up for us or maybe just like want to reinforce. We thought they were strong and they still are strong in practice. So you you had a number listed here, Ben. Why don't you start us off? Yeah, the first one on the list is Strider Harness. We came at this pretty highly in the set review. I talked you up to a B minus. I do still think it's there. Uh, And it's interesting, like everyone I've talked to has been down on it, like Semulin and some other people, because it's been bad in other formats. But I don't think this is like other formats. I think you're interested in buffing a creature plus one, plus one here. And the haste was like very good, very relevant for me in sealed. So I imagine if it was good in sealed, it's probably going to be good in draft. Maybe draft will be too fast for it. I don't know. But I was happy running two copies in one of my decks in my sealed pool just because I was looking for any way to enhance my creatures uh, that I could find. So that, that's been great. I totally agree. I have put it in the two aggro decks that I thought my two of my pools could build. I ended up playing the more controlling decks out of those builds. But I've been impressed by this card. I think it's you're totally right. The plus and plus one is enough, and the haste is definitely enough. It's very, very scary in top deck wars. Another thing that's been really impressive, I mean, we, we had these high in our top commons, but any two drop with an evasion, so Goblin Trailblazer, that's the one in a red uh, for the two one with a menace kite sail corsair that's one in a blue for the two one pirate that has flying when it's attacking and guilt grove stalker that's one in a green for the two one merfolk uh, that can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less so all all three of those creatures are essentially unblockable in the early turns of the game and have been very scary and i've often found myself using three or four drop removal to deal with them in the sealed format those are all really really powerful two drops and you know what they all have in common evasion they all have one toughness oh yeah yeah that too yeah be on the lookout like i'm forgetting the name of the card but there's the the red one one haste that can tap to sacrifice to deal a damage to something i think that goes up a lot in value with these cards floating around there's the two and a red spell that deals a damage to everything without flying draw a card like look out for things that focus on one toughness creatures because although there aren't a lot of them like these three right here are going to be some of the best creatures out of rivals i think i think so too and i've also gotten ranched by dual shot already oh god I went two one into two one into my opponent dual shotting me and playing their own two drop and the game was just like over so dual shots now like a mythic common yeah so dual shot if in case you have forgotten is the one mana deal one damage to each of up to two target creatures that didn't get played very much in ixalan because all the best two drops were two twos but now all the best two drops are two ones with hour of devastation or rather uh with rivals of ixalan rather <laughs> Suncrested Pterodon. This has been another impressive one. Uh, this is four and a white for a 2-5 dinosaur with flying, and it's got dino vigilance. It gets vigilance if you control another dinosaur. 
I had three of these in one of my sealed pools and it was outstanding. I played all three and they consistently were what you talked about, like the card that won me the most games, like turned the game into a board stall because they could block super well and then were my win condition also once they had vigilance. So I could just keep chipping in for two in the air and if my opponent didn't have an answer, the game was going to be over. If you have another dinosaur, dare I say this is better than Shining Aerosaur? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think pretty easily. The bigger booty is impressive, and the fact that it can play offense and defense in the same, like, cycle of turns is way more impressive than I thought it would be. Yeah, I don't even think that's particularly close. So Shining, Shining Aerosaur being the four and a white 3-4 flyer from, from Ixalan? Yeah, for sure. Uh, another one that's been awesome and backbreaking to be on the receiving end of is Crashing Tide. That's two and a blue uh, for the sorcery that bounces a creature and draws you a card. And if you control a merfolk, you can cast it at instant speed. Yeah, this card is gross and it doesn't need the merfolk text. Like it doesn't need to be an instant. But when it is, it's even better. Exactly. But the fa- but like how good it is as a sorcery, you're just like, wait, what? You get to do what? You get to bounce my thing and you get to replace it with another card? It's... It's really, really strong. You, wh- Where did you have this in your... We, did we both put this as number three? I think we both had this at number three over the claustrophobia effect. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, I, Water Knot didn't cl- crack our, our top three. This is just super strong, and it might even move up to like number two or number one in, in Blue's Commons rankings. Yeah, just if you're ahead, you essentially time walk your opponent and draw a card, which is yep. so, so, so strong. Dusk Legion Zealot is another one that's like been good, I think. Uh, we It was kind of a question mark. We were maybe wondering how good this was going to be. We had this mm-hmm. both as our third black common. So Dusk Legion Zealot is one and a black for the 1-1 one, one vampire. And when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card and you lose one life. Yeah, this card is just like a nice little speed bump. And I think something to keep in mind when you play this card is once it's on the battlefield, you don't have to like be worried about trading it as a one-for-one with another resource because it's already replaced itself. So you can be like thrilled to double block with it and have that double block resolve because it's not really like you're getting two-for-one. I think people can sometimes get caught up with it like being a creature on the battlefield and that you don't want to get blown out with it, but it's already done its work and then it's just there to like do whatever you need. If it chump blocks and gains you four life, that's great. Like it, it just has so many different roles that it can fill. Yeah, and I think just being a vampire puts it over the top. I think it would be fine oh, as a 1-1 yeah. that replaces itself. And I think the thing that bumps it up into good is the fact that it's a vampire. Mm, yeah, for sure. One that I think we weren't super high on that's been really impressive is Mutiny. What's been your experience with that card? I agree. The first time it got cast, I was like, oh, well, that was pretty good. It was like on turn five, and they like I had a, two big things, and they killed one of my big things for one mana, and were able to do something else. Now, Ryan Sachs was telling me about this too. Like when I was doing my set review on stream, he was like, being able to double spell with this, even though it's not going to maybe be able to kill the thing that you want it to. So we should say what it is. Did you say what it was? No. It's uh, one red mana for a sorcery. Target creature and opponent controls deals damage equal to its power to another creature that player controls. So, you know, it's not going to be a single red mana, like kill the thing you need to kill. A lot of the time, it's probably going to be like one red mana, kill the second best creature your opponent controls. But if with this flat power level of creatures, a lot of the time, they're going to be able to just kill the thing they want to. They have the, your 2-2 two, two fight your evasive 2-1, or not fight, but deal damage to your evasive 2-1 and get it off the battlefield. And it's just so cheap. I think you're just going to want at least one of these in all of your red decks. My question is, at least in draft, like... How many do we want and and how does the grade like diminish as you get multiples of them? Yeah, I think that's certainly something to peg down. The first I think is very good. So when I realized this was very good, my opponent, I had played like, I don't know, 
a four drop and a three drop or something. And my opponent, what exactly what you said, double spelling. My opponent killed my three drop for one mana and then played their own creature. Like it was such a tempo switch uh, mm-hmm. that even the fact that they weren't killing my best creature, like because my, my best creature wasn't that good at the time. So as long as they don't have some insane bomb out, mutiny is like a very, very, very efficient removal spell that gains you a lot of mana advantage. I think that's why it's good. So the first one I think is probably maybe even close, probably not B minus territory. I guess it's not really at least for now for me, it doesn't make me want to play red, but I value the first one very highly if I'm in red. We'll have to see how many becomes too many. Yeah, my sort of preliminary outline is I think the first is a C plus and like the second is a C minus and then I think the third is probably a D. I don't think you want to be running three main deck at least, but I think you're definitely going to want one in all your red decks. Yeah, and then nobody nobody needs to know that Ravenous Chupacabra is good. So Ravenous Chupacabra is the two black black uh, for the 2-2 two, two that uh, on entering the battlefield destroys target creature and opponent controls. What I didn't realize was just like how much this card feels like Hostage Taker. It's like a Hostage Taker at Uncommon. It's so good. It comes down, kills something, and then there's so many effects that like Recover is like a thing that buys a creature out of the graveyard from the new set and draws you a card. There's bounce effects to return it to your hand. There's Siren's Ruse, uh, one in a blue to like blink it and put it back in. There's so many ways to abuse it, similarly to Hostage Taker. And while it's not quite as good as Hostage Taker, it's still very, very backbreaking in combination with those cards. Yeah, this is not a card that makes me excited about this format because it doesn't take a lot of skill, right? Like the same reason that like Hostage Taker was really frustrating to play against this is very frustrating to play against because like they don't have to do anything. They're just playing a thing that two for ones immediately and always is going to kill your best creature. Yep. We're going to be talking about getting chooped a lot for the next three months. Yeah. Yeah, we are. And then you were the first one to point this out, uh, that Forerunner of the Legion and friends have been very strong. I was pretty high on Forerunner of the Legion, but I was not as high on his friends. What's been going on there? I have seen all of them in play on the opposing side of the battlefield. I haven't actually gotten to cast any of them yet. They are all so strong. You talked me up on the vampire ones. These are all the creatures that tutor up one of the creature types that are relevant in the format. So the vampire tutor one you talked me up on because it's able to search up anointed deacon, which we know was like the engine for the vampire deck in Ixalan. But the rest of them are so strong. So the Merfolk one was what I had pegged as the best one. And I think it's certainly up there, but I think the Vampire one's probably better. Just because it on attacking, it like comes into play as a 3-2. And then when a Merfolk comes into play, you get to put a plus and plus one counter on it. So like that in tandem with anything, I mean, just being able to attack as a 4-3 the turn after you cast this is pretty huge. But that in tandem with like the three drop that makes a 1-1 the 2-2 that makes a 1-1 hexproof, that's ridiculous. It's just, the Merfolk one is great. The Pirate one is pretty, like, you know, harmless as a 3-mana 2-2 that just, like, goes and finds a thing. When was the last time we had tutor effects at Uncommon in Limited? It's been a long time. So when your opponent gets to go find their best dinosaur, their best pirate, or to be able to curve out to go 3-drop pirate into Marauding Looter or whatever, like... It is really, really backbreaking. Maybe not backbreaking is the word, but it's very strong. To be able to look at a number of cards in your library and say, this is the one I want to draw next is... It's a strong thing to get to do in limited. Yeah, my brother went to uh, my older brother went to a pre-release on uh, Saturday and he had Forerunner of the Coalition, which is the pirate one and Hostage Taker. So he could go Forerunner of the Coalition in to find my Hostage Taker on turn four. That I just I'm not I'm not happy. Like, <laughs> like great. It's a good card. I'm not happy that that exists in this format. <laughs> 
Yeah. Maybe a little too powerful. Another one that you were spot on that I just want to uh, champion how right you were, Curious Obsession, the single blue enchantment that gives uh, plus one, plus one to a creature and the ability whenever it damages an opponent, you draw a card. And then if you didn't attack, you have to sacrifice Curious Obsession, which I didn't realize. Not even the creature. You only have to sacrifice the enchantment. You only have to sacrifice the enchantment. And it's not if you attacked with this creature. It's just if you attacked with a creature. Right. Also important to note. Uh, that's the same text on C-Red as well. Yes. I've run away with a, a game with that already, and my opponents have already run away with a game against me with that. It's just very, very strong. Probably the best blue uncommon. I think you're right. For sure. Next on this list, we've got Reckless Rage. That's the single red mana for an instant. Deal four damage to target creature you don't control and deal two damage to target creature you do control. Uh, so a question mark we had about this was how big is that drawback going to be? And I think the answer is not a huge drawback. I have not cast this yet, but my opponents have cast it against me, and it's been consistently very good for them for the same reason that Mutiny is good. So yes, it does have a drawback, but when you do get a do it and you get a double spell, you get such a tempo advantage from dealing four damage to something for one mana that I think the drawback still makes it quite a good card. Yeah, for sure. It's just so efficient. We just don't have that anywhere else, like a single mana for four damage. So you can really set up how you want to deal with that drawback in a way that is profitable for you, or at least neutral for you, I think. So a few cards to add to the list. I wanted to talk about Snubhorn Sentry. This was the single white O3 creature that has Ascend. If you have the City's Blessing, it gets plus three plus O. So if you have the City's Blessing, it's a one mana three three. Otherwise, it's a one mana O3. So with my experiences of the sealed format, at least, Snubhorn Sentry was great to me because it was able to block a lot of the two drops and three drops in the format pretty profitably like if they wanted to cast a combat trick to get to kill the o3 that would be fine but then by about turn six turn seven it became a three three and then it was like bigger than most things on the battlefield yeah that's interesting this was a card that i thought wasn't good i think i gave it like a d in the set review and i would i would bump this up to a c i think interesting and it would be curious to see if that shakes out in draft as well my my guess would be it's still going to be bad in draft might be okay in sealed yeah let's uh we'll keep our keep our eyes on that colossal dreadmaw is back and back with a vengeance i think in rivals of ixalan so this is the four green green for the six six dinosaur with trample i mean we talked about in our stats show last week about the average at least for the rivals creatures the average uh power and toughness being about a little little higher than two two on average 6-6 six, six is a lot bigger than a 2-2, two, two, let me tell you. That math is not hard. That's not that's not hard math. I am an actor, so I can't do great math. But I will say that the 6-6 six, six on the battlefield over the weekend, uh, in the events online and the events I played uh, yesterday, was enormous. And at common, like, my opponents always groaned, and I was like, this is not a new creature. Like, we've seen this before. And they were just right. like, oh, man, you have... And I had two of them in my paper seal deck, and it was like nigh on it just came down and turned the whole board into a stall because they couldn't attack and and uh stunlock ftw matt who i went with he was like i think in sealed sometimes that might be better than the like mini regisaur alpha the three green green that like is yeah. a three three tree trample and makes a three three because they can attack into the three threes they can't attack into a six six yeah that makes sense the next card that I want to talk about, which I think I was just way off on, is Spirewinder. This is a three and a blue for the two, three flyer that has Ascend. If you have the City's Blessing, it gets plus and plus one. So it's a four mana, two, three flyer. Or if you have the City's Blessing, it's a four mana, three, four flyer. And that at common, when I think cities, like getting the City's Blessing isn't going to be that hard, is really, really strong. Especially when I think a lot of the, the games are going to come down to evasion. 
Yeah, Flyers were great and sealed, and that's a good one. I was very happy with my copies of Spirewinder and sealed also. Squire's Devotion, we both had this pegged as the best white common, and I stand by that firmly after seeing his performance this weekend. This is the two-and-a-white aura. Enchanted Creature gets plus one, plus one, and lifelink, and it makes a one-one lifelinker when it comes into play. It feels like that difference of one-one power toughness that Mark of the Vampire gave is not really felt here. Like, it's a mana cheaper, and you're just getting the tempo that you got from Mark of the Vampire because you're just gaining that life back. Like it's one less life because it's not plus two plus two. It's very, very strong. And it's one of the reasons I think aggro decks were like scary to, for me to play in sealed this weekend. Cause I just feel like you can't race this card ever. Yeah. It's really tough. I am a little like, you know, we were, we were talking about is the format still going to be a beard format. I was a little scared with the amount of removal in sealed to go to try to land a Squire's Devotion. I played them and they were very good, but I was not just jamming them on turn three all the time. I was trying to pick my spots when my opponent was tapped out, et cetera, et cetera, to land it. But I do still think when you land it, it's a very, very powerful effect. And I still have it as the top white common also. I think this is, and this is a card that I think performed well this weekend. And I think is only going to get better in draft than it was in sealed. I agree. And it also, I had played it on the uh, the 3-2 Hexproof Flyer, also insane. Oh, also, like, good God. very upsetting to play <laughs> against. I think that deck's gonna, blue-white. I think blue-white's going to be the home for the best enhancements, and it's got the tools to protect the creatures, too. I'm very excited about that deck in draft. And But I, f- I feel like, listeners, don't let the secret out, but I feel like people are not going to be on it at the start of the format because they weren't on it in Ixalan. I agree, yeah. I'm pretty excited to run the tables in draft with that deck. <laughs> Yeah, if if we're right, I think we are going to run the tables at least for a little bit. Yeah, we'll have to see if we're right, and we will let you know as soon as we find out if we are not. But that's where I'm coming <laughs> at starting the format. Yeah. Arazka Relic is the last common that I wanted to talk about. I think it's an uncommon, actually, that I wanted to talk about. This is the three-mana rock. Like, it taps for a generic mana, but then once you have the City's Blessing, you can tap, sacrifice it to gain three life and draw a card. We didn't really pick up on this. There's no ramp at common or uncommon in Rivals of Ixalan. There's no Drover of the Mighty. There's no New Horizons. There's no Blossom Dryad. Nothing is ramping you except for this card. So I had like some Naya dinosaur decks that like need, like I needed to get to my five drop and this was very serviceable at ramping me. And then once you didn't need it, boom, it's a Mind Stone that gains you life. Right. You could cash it in. You cash it in. I I was way more impressed with this card. I think you don't want it in every deck, but in the decks where you need to be ramping, you're so, so thrilled because it does everything you want. It ramps you early, and then once you don't need it anymore, cash it in for a card and some bonus life. It's really, really strong, I think. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I was still a little down on this card, but hearing you say that, I'm going to pay attention to it a little more. And it is a common, not an uncommon. Oh, it is a common. Great. You're, if you want them, you're going to be able to get them, I think. That sounds good to me. All right, moving on to some rares. What do you got for us? Yeah, these were just some rares that I had experience playing with or against in Sealed. First one I wanted to talk about, Bishop of Binding in white. That's three and a white for the 1-1 Vampire when it enters the, the battlefield. Exile target creature and opponent controls until Bishop of Binding leaves the battlefield. And when it attacks, target Vampire, not even it, gets plus X plus X until end of turn where X is the power of the exiled card. Now, most often you're going to be pumping this so that it doesn't die when it attacks. Um, but just great. Uh, was very, very strong. Paladin of Atonement was another one that I was was tricky to evaluate, so I want to go over this one real quick uh, and why it's good. This is one and a white for the 1-1 Vampire Knight. 
At the beginning of each cupkeep, if you lost life last turn, put a plus one plus one counter on Paladin of Atonement, and when it dies, you gain life equal to its toughness. So at first glance, this looks similar to like cards that when a creature dies, you put a plus one plus one counter on them, and historically those have not been great. Later in the game, it's worse, but if this comes down on turn two uh, and you're you're getting beaten down, it's getting bigger and can eventually block the things that are beating you down. And I guess if it's not getting bigger, you're probably winning the game. So you don't really mind the fact that it's a 1-1. Uh, this card was fine, and I think is just better than your average, like, 2-mana two 2-2. Two, two. Interesting. All right. Yeah, I was going to say, like, so where do you rate it? Like, it's a C? Uh, it's like a, C a C, plus? C, C plus, maybe? Yeah, I think I think better than a 2-mana a 2-2, two two, I think, is how I would rate it. I would have had it worse than that, I think, looking at it initially. But we're, like, giving 2-mana two 2-2s, two like... A C minus or something? D pluses, C minuses, yeah. Yeah, I would give it a C, C plus. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Warkite Marauder? What is this? <laughs> it's rock solid. It's rock solid. According to our show notes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Here it is. Well, one in a blue uh, for the 2-1 human pirate with flying. And when it attacks, target creature defending player controls loses all abilities and has base power and toughness 0-1 until end of turn. Oh, this is Ariel Hammerskull, right? Yeah. Just very, very good. Was not pleasant to be on the receiving end of my opponent having that on turn two. Champion of Dusk. This has been insane in sealed. I assume it will be insane in draft also. That's three black black for a 4-4 vampire knight. When it enters the battlefield, you draw X cards and you lose X life where X is the number of vampires you control. So frequently this is just five mana for a 4-4 plus ancestral recall at worst because it it counts itself. So at worst case, it's five mana, 4-4, draw a card, lose a life. And oftentimes you have at least one, maybe two, and heaven forbid you have four or five vampires um, and you're drawing four or five cards. It's very, very strong and won uh, my brother and I lots of games in sealed. Wow, yeah. There was a card like this that used to be in some cubes that was a, a, a mana cheaper but and did the effect for zombies and that card was a house so i have to imagine that in this tribal format this card is just busted good and tetsamok my apologies if any of you had the privilege of losing to this at the pre-release <laughs> tetsamok primal death four black black for a six six death touch pay a black reveal tetsamok primal death from your hand put a prey counter on target creature activate this ability only during your turn as many times as you want during your turn uh, when it enters the battlefield, destroy each counter your opponent's control with a break counter on it. So 6-6, six, six, Death Touch, Plague Wind your opponent, essentially, Wrath their entire side of the board. Cards, a house, don't ever pass it. Why does this card have to be rare? Why can't this be Mythic? It should absolutely be Mythic. It's gonna it's gonna be more oppressive than Glorybringer, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I don't feel like I can win. It's like, I either play against this card, or we're playing in a format that is too fast for this card to be relevant, which is also not what I want. Yeah. I Well, the only way to interact with it is, like, the coercion effect. There's two in a black look at somebody's hand make them discard it that's a way to beat it counter spells beat it but other than that uh my, when my brother and i were playing it the thing that's so frustrating is we just held it in hand like because our opponents we were like parody or slightly ahead and if our opponents committed more things to the battlefield we were just going to mark them and then play a 6-6 death touch it was actually better in our hand than it was in the battlefield interesting oh that's so it's like becomes this little mini game yes of like are you gonna commit more things to the battlefield great i'll wrath them are you not great i'll kill you with my other things like you just can't do anything against it <laughs> <laughs> tender shoot dryad this was in one of my sealed pools was very good four and a green for a two two dryad with ascend at the beginning of each upkeep create at each upkeep i didn't even notice that at first oh yeah create a one one green sapperling token and then sapperlings you control get plus two plus two as long as you have the city's blessing which you get in a hurry if you're making a sapperling on each upkeep i think i had this in maybe it was just one deck but the experience i had either on my side of the battlefield or on theirs was that it was came into play and then on my opponent's upkeep i got the city's blessing 
it was the ninth and tenth permanent that I had. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, very, very, very strong. Wayward Swordtooth, I played against this. Tuna Green for a 5-5 Dinosaur with Ascend. Lets you play an additional land on each of your turns, which helps you get to Ascend. And it can't attack or block unless you have the City's Blessing. Uh, so as we already identified, like was fairly easy to get in sealed. This might be a little worse in draft, but was very impressive for my opponents as a three mana five, five that ramped them to their other stuff and just helped them get to the city's blessing faster. And then when they had it, this was just a five, five that beat down. I have not gotten to play with her against that card yet, but as soon as I realized how fast, at least in sealed, you can get the city's blessing. I was like, oh, this card's way, way better than I thought it would be. Yep. Hadana's Climb I had in one of my pools. Uh, this is the blue-green-gold card, the Cycle of Enchantments, and maybe this is just a good point to talk about all of them, but Hadana's Climb is one blue-green at the beginning of combat on your turn. Put a plus-one, plus-one counter on target creature you control. Then if that creature has three or more counters on it, you flip it into a land that has the ability one blue-green tap and target attacking creature gets plus-x, plus-x until end of turn, where x is its power and toughness i believe or x is its power sorry this one isn't on mtg goldfish so i can't actually see yeah this whole cycle so there's a cycle of five of these enemy colored flip enchantments and i think all of them except for the blue red one that flips into a Talarian academy impression like flips into a land that taps for mana equal to the number of artifacts you control i don't think that's meant for limited but the rest of them especially i think uh, two that i want to talk about journey to eternity and profane procession are just busted good and really unfair and again it's like i i'm like well i either hope that if the format is fast is slow enough that these cards are relevant it's bad and if the format is too fast for them to be relevant that's also not what i want so profane procession which i won many games off this weekend is one white black for a legendary enchantment and it has three white black exile target creature then yeah wait just full stop three white black exile target creature then, if there are three or more cards exiled with Profane Procession, transform it. Well, I wonder what happens when we flip it. It becomes Tomb of the Dusk Rose, and it taps add one mana of any color to your mana pool. Well, you, you won't be doing that. You'll be doing the other thing. Two white-black, tap, put a creature card exiled with this permanent onto the battlefield under your control. That is disgusting. So you get a hostage taker somebody three times with this card? Mm-hmm. It's completely unfair. So this is a reason that I think enchantment removal, at least in sealed, like crushing canopy is just a powerhouse because you're either killing flyers or you're killing some busted enchantment that your opponent opened. Enchantment removal, I think, is going to be very strong. The other one I wanted to talk about, we won't talk about all of them. Well, I guess we'll talk about all but one of them is Journey to Eternity, which is one black green. Uh, it says enchant creature you control. When enchanted creature dies, return it to the battlefield under your control. So when it dies, just get it back. Then return Journey to Eternity to the battlefield transformed under your control. And it becomes Atzel Cave of Eternity. And it again has tap to add a mana of any color to your mana pool. Or you can three black green tap to return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Good lord. So you do that at instant speed again both of the two cards i just talked about you do the ability at instant speed and atzel cave of eternity isn't like exiling the creature as like it's like not like making a copy that's a token or anything it's just return that creature card to the battlefield oh do what what's a creature that you might want to return a number of times from rivals of ixalan hmm ravenous chupacabra if you have this card in ravenous chupacabra which is not difficult one is an uncommon one's a rare in a small set we're going to see this you just get to do this over and over again because once that creature dies, you can just bring it back again. I think these flip enchantments, especially the, the three we talked about, Hadana's Climb, Journey to Eternity, and Profane Procession, are stupid good. Yeah, 
Uh, Hadana's Climb, I think a little less so than the other two, but was still very good for me in my sealed deck. Twilight Prophet, another one. This was not remotely beatable without removal, which I did not have in the situation I was in. Two black black for a 2-4 vampire cleric with flying and ascend. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you have the city's blessing, reveal the top card of your library and put it into your hand. So you draw a card. Each opponent loses X life and you gain X life where X is that card's converted mana cost. Card is bonkers good and you must have removal when your opponent's got it. Why does that card need to exist? Why does like Dark Confidant but everything is bad for your opponent need to exist? Not super fun. Uh, you've got some cards that uh, have been less impressive maybe than we thought. What are, what are those? Yeah, just a couple. I mean, it seems like it's a pretty powerful set if not like maybe not clear whether it's going to be powerful in terms of bombs or powerful in terms of evasive enhancement threats. But a couple things that that went down for me over the weekend. One is Martyr of Dusk, which is one and a white for the 2-1 vampire that when it dies, you make a 1-1 vampire token with lifelink. I thought that this just didn't do enough in non-vampire-centric decks, which I felt like were pretty hard to get in a sealed pool. So I think this will go up in draft. But we were talking about like, well, is this like kind of close to Bishop Soldier? And we said Bishop Soldier was much better. But the fact that the front end doesn't have lifelink and that it has one toughness versus two toughness, I think are pretty big knocks against it. Like, I just feel like both halves of the card aren't enough and added up together, not getting like the token when you want it. Like, it's not like the the Merfolk thing that that's the three mana two two that makes a one one hexproof token when it comes into play. Like... You don't get them at the same time. I just felt like this card didn't do enough and often got brickwalled by opposing blockers or opposing attackers, and I didn't like this card very much. That makes sense to me in Sealed. I would still expect this to be pretty good in draft. I think only in a vampire deck, though. Yeah, that's fair. That makes sense to me. The other one I wanted to talk about was Gleaming Barrier, which is the two-mana 4 artifact that when it dies makes a treasure token. The fact that what were the three two drops that you talked about earlier in the episode? All of them have evasion, yeah. Right, the 2-1 menace, the 2-1 flyer, or the 2-1 can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less. Goblin Trailblazer, Kite Sail Corsair, and Guilt Grove Stalker. None of those cards can be blocked by Gleaming Barrier, and that's like the only reason you want to play this is so that like what you're hoping with this card is that like you block a two power creature and they have to use like a pump spell. So you've like traded with a card and then you get your treasure because you're like splashing around or trying to ramp for something that's like why you would play this card but you don't get to do that with like this doesn't do enough this doesn't actually like help you go like toe to toe with your opponent who's curving out if you're trying to be a control deck i don't think this is where if there are like multicolor control decks i don't think this is the kind of card that wants to be in them i would take dire fleet hoarder over them any day because that has power and power not only toughness right i agree and the reason like wall of forgotten pharaohs was good in hou right was that it brick walled all the three threes or three ones that were attacking you i forget the names of the cards already that's terrible uh it was like oketra's avenger and, there we uh, go that one, yeah. yeah i forget the green one but yeah i know what you're talking about like even the, the like aggressive creatures that when they exerted even you were cutting their damage in half yeah yeah this just doesn't do that like the the evasive threats in this format are like i don't care well what are you in o4 who matt who cares it doesn't do anything yeah uh and we've got uh or i've got and i I think Ethan maybe disagrees with me slightly. Some initial color power rankings here. After playing with the cards a little bit um, and doing the set review last week, I guess we'll count it down from five to one. Number five, I've got red. I've just not been super impressed with red's commons depth and the uncommons. I think it's a little lacking. Number four, I've got black. And while it might be slightly weaker than red in the commons department, black's got some insane uncommons and rares, in my opinion. Uh, That's why I've got it ranked above red. And then number three, I've got white. 
Uh, just rock solid cards all the way around. Maybe a little lacking in the uncommons. Green at number two, very very impressive. Great commons, great uncommons, great rares. Uh, and number one, I've got blue. Uh, it's got four commons that are all insanely good that I would be not unhappy to first pick, uh, which is a great place to be. I think blue is really good, really deep, and super super aggressive. Yeah, I agree with everything on this list. I mean, except for the fact that I think I would switch black and red. I, I'm still sticking with my feeling that. Black's commons are too shallow. Like, there's the couple removal spells. There's the Dusk Legion Dreadnought. That's the Elvish Visionary draw card, lose a life. And then maybe the, like, three mana, three, three pirate that deals you two damage if you don't control another pirate. But other than that, I think Black's commons are very shallow. So while the uncommons and rares may be busted, I think you're going to need to get those in order for you to want to play Black. And then you're going to be scraping for some good stuff because everyone's going to want the removal spells. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm waiting to see how that shakes out, but I'm, I'm still thinking that the black may be too shallow to be able to compete with multiple drafters at a table. But these, these rankings also don't. I'm not, I'm not crazy about these color rankings. I know people often want them, right? Everyone comes into Twitch chat and is like, "What, what's the best color? What's the best color pair?" But it, it's often much more fluid than that. It's much more about the draft and the cards you open. Yeah, I feel very confident about blue past that. We'll have to wait and see. So that's a ton of information. Let's try to process it in some some roundtable drafts. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. We wanted to take uh, ourselves a few picks deep on a draft. Uh, we will be reading all the cards this time through. We often try and shortcut that a little bit, but it's so early in the format. Neither of us have even drafted this yet. So let's go ahead and read them through. I'm ready to take a seat, Ben. You want to take me through this first pack? Yeah, let's do it. First, you've got Arazka Raptor, two red red for the three four dinosaur. Sun Sentinel, one white white for a two two human soldier with vigilance. Dinosaur Hunter, one and a black for a two two human pirate. When it deals damage to a dinosaur, destroy that creature. Surprisingly relevant text if you're actually playing dinosaurs. You're not thrilled when your opponent plays that on two. Yeah, this card is pretty interesting. I like it a lot. Hunt the Week, three and a green. Sorcery, my boy. Put a plus one, plus one. <laughs> I stand by that, by the way, after playing this weekend. Uh, put yeah. a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Then that creature fights target creature you don't control. Divine Verdict, three and a white instant. Destroy target attacking or blocking creature. Also overperformed and sealed, I think, from what I was expecting. But that is because I think sealed is so bomb-centric. Like, I was splashing for this card in my deck that was also splashing profane procession because... I just felt like I needed some sort of catch-all removal to bombs, you know? I think I think you do need that in Sealed. I agree. Deadeye Rig Hauler, 3 to blue for the 3-2 human pirate with Raid. When it enters the battlefield, if you attacked with a creature this turn, you may return target creature to its owner's hand. Soul of the Rapids, 3 blue blue for the 3-2 elemental with flying and hexproof. Impale, 2 black black for the sorcery destroy target creature. Traveler's Amulet, single generic mana for the artifact, sacrifice Traveler's Amulet, search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Orozka Frillback, two and a green for the 4-2 dinosaur, Vanilla. Foul Orchard, the black green tapped dual land. Daring Buccaneer, single red for the 2-2 human pirate, as an additional cost to cast Daring Buccaneer, reveal a pirate card from your hand or pay two. Card is scary when it gets played on turn one, especially if it gets backed up by two drop and three drop. Yeah. Stormfleet Sprinter, one blue-red for the 2-2 human pirate with haste. Stormfleet Sprinter can't be blocked. And our rare, Silverclad Ferocidons, five red-red for an 8-5 dinosaur with the enraged trigger whenever it is dealt damage, each opponent sacrifices a permanent. What do you make of this pack? This pack is really deep. We have, to my estimation, three cards I'm thinking about. So that rare does not excite me that much. I have not played with or against it, but it just seems a little too vanilla and a little too clunky to be good enough. 
I think our gold uncommon Stormfleet Sprinter is uh, the best of the three uncommons to me, but I'm not sure I want to be first picking a gold card just yet. I'm not sure if it's as powerful as maybe some of the other gold uncommons, and I'm not sure I want to be first picking a gold uncommon over some of the single-colored cards in the pack. So that brings me down to uh, Hunt the Week, the Green Fight Spell, Deadeye Rig Hauler, the Blue Bounce Creature, and Impale, the Black Removal Spell. I agree completely. And I think this probably just comes down to, like, I mean, we're just guessing at this point, sort of, because of how we feel about colors, but I- I'm going to go with Deadeye Rig Hauler because I want to be blue right now. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I would I would be on Hunt the Week because I think it's enough of a more powerful card, and I think green's going to be a strong color also, but I, I don't think you can really go wrong at this point in the format picking any of those three cards. Yeah, I think, I think so. But, I mean, I think it is a little telling that I'm taking the blue bounce creature and you're taking the green fight spell. We're both taking cards over impale, so we're still not quite as high on impale as perhaps the rest of the world is. I think you're going to want a card like this in your deck, but there's this at common and there's, uh, whatchamacallit, contract killing from Ixalan. So -hmm. I think, like, you're going to need to kill a bomb rare, but I don't think, like, paying four mana to kill a tutu is where you want to be, which is where you might end up if you pick Impale super highly. That's what I'm worried about. All right, so moving on to pack two, I've got Deadeye Rig Hauler, you've got Hunt the Week. Then here's what your pack's looking like. You've got Crashing Tide, two and a blue for the sorcery. Has flash as long as you control a merfolk. You bounce a creature and draw a card. Brazen Freebooter, 3 and red for the 3-3 human pirate that makes a treasure when it comes into play. Vampire Revenant is 3 and a black for a 3-1 vampire spirit with flying. Sanguine Glorifier, 3 and a white for the 3-3 vampire that when it enters the battlefield, you put a plus 1 plus 1 counter on another target vampire you control. Sea Legs, single blue for the aura with flash. Enchant Creature, Enchanted Creature gets plus 0, plus 2 as long as it's a pirate. Otherwise, it gets minus 2, minus 0. Did you see this in play at all this weekend? I did not, but I think it's, like, maybe slightly better than it looked. I, I was not, I, I thought it was just about as bad as it looked. Like, oh, it interesting. Was, <laughs> it was not great any time I saw my opponents cast it. I was like, okay, that's fine. Like, I don't, it seems hard to, like, get a big blowout with this card. No, certainly if you land it, you're only getting a small, like, plus O, plus two. Another Traveler's Amulet, the artifact that can search for a land and put it into your hand. Secrets of the Golden City, one blue-blue for the sorcery. Draw two cards, but if you have the city's blessing, you draw three cards instead. Grasping Scoundrel, single black for the 1-1 one, one human pirate. It gets plus one, plus oh as long as it's attacking. Cleansing Ray, one and a white for a sorcery. Choose one, destroy target vampire or destroy target enchantment. Another Orozka Frillba- Frillback, two and a green for a 4-2 dino with flavor text. Sadistic Skymarcher. Two and a black for the two-two vampire soldier. Uh, as an additional cost to cast it, you may reveal a vamp- you reveal a vampire card, or you pay one more. And it has flying and lifelink. I think this card is still busted good. Did you see this in play at all? I did not. Oh, this was very very powerful. One with the wind and mark of the vampire as a creature is is pretty good. Surprise, surprise. I'll believe it. Stormfleet Swashbuckler, one and a red for a two-two. It has double strike as long as you have the city's blessing. And Tilanali Summoner, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this card. One in a red for a 1-1 human shaman. Whenever Tilanali Summoner attacks, you may pay X and red. If you do, create X-1-1 red elemental creature tokens that are tapped and attacking. At the beginning of the next end step, you exile those tokens unless you have the city's blessing. Yeah, so I initially underrated that card because I was assuming you had to have the City's Blessing when you activated the ability for them to stick Mm. around, but that ability helps you get the City's Blessing. So most of the time, 
This card is like 1-1 one, one, attack, pay red X, make X 1-1s one, permanently. So if this ever gets in where it doesn't get blocked, it's insane, obviously, and is going to run away with the game. So the question then is like, if it's going to get blocked, which it most often is because it's a 1-1. One, one. It's a 1-1 one, one that like doesn't have haste, right? So like they're going to block it. They're going to see it. You're going to play it and you'll be like, all right, next turn I'm attacking with this. Right. And and like if you're trying to save it with a combat trick like Sure Strike or whatever, then like that's X two less elemental right. tokens you're going to make or whatever. So it's hard to like it's probably going away most of the time the first time you attack with it. So then the question becomes is how good is red X make X one one tokens? That's as good as you have mana. So a late game card powerful if you get to the late game but i'm not sold on this as an early pick at all like your two drop being a one one is not where you want to be so this is essentially like a turn seven eight type card i'm not thrilled with it i think it like has a lot of text on it and it doesn't do what you want it to do i just think there's you have to dump too much mana into it but whatever we don't don't need to, to talk about this card that much yeah, I don't I don't think it's in consideration here, but it certainly is an interesting card and takes some thinking about to like really dial into what it does. Mm-hmm. So the cards that immediately jump out at me are Sadistic Sky Marcher and Crashing Tide. Pretty much it. Those those are the only two cards that are really in consideration for me. And we also removed an uncommon out of this pack. Um, we're trying to like curate uh, a, like mm-hmm. a little draft here that's going on from Draft Sim. So we removed a Needle Tooth Raptor out of the pack. So between Sadistic Sky Marcher and Crashing Tide, I think Sadistic Sky Marcher is the best card. Then the question becomes like, do we really not want to be black badly enough to not take Sadistic Sky Marcher? And for me, the answer is no, at least right now. So I would go out and, and go ahead and take Sadistic Sky Marcher uh, and add it to my Hunt the Week. I think that Sadistic Sky Marcher is a better card than Crashing Tide at the moment. And so if this were pack one, pick one, that would be my pick. Uh, I'm not certainly not biasing myself against black that much, but I do already have a Deadeye Rig Hauler, so I'm going to take Crashing Tide to go with that. Like, that seems like a great start to a draft. Yeah, that makes sense to me. So if you were in my shoes, would you still be on Sadistic Sky Marcher or would you be on Crashing Tide? No, I'd be on Sadistic Sky Marcher. I'd be like, there isn't a great card in green for you with Hunt the Week, so then it's what's the best card, and I think that's the Sky Marcher, at least right now. Yeah, all right. On to pack three, we see the following cards. We've removed a Raging Regisaur, uh, which is two red-green for the 4-4 Dinosaur. When it attacks, it deals one damage to target creature or player. That's gone. And Kumena Tyrant Overazka is also gone. That's one blue-green for the 2-4 Legendary Merfolk Shaman. Tap and untap Merfolk you control. It can't be blocked this turn. Tap three untap Merfolk you control to draw a card. Tap five untap Merfolk you control to put plus one, plus one counter on each Merfolk you control. So those two are out of the pack. Our neighbors picked those. This is what is left. Cleansing Ray, one and a white for the sorcery. Choose one, destroy target vampire, destroy target enchantment. Evolving Wilds, the fetch land for basics. You can tap, sack that, search your library for basic land and put it on the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. Strider Harness, uh, three mana for the equipment. Uh, Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one, and haste and has an equip cost of one. Squire's Devotion, two and a white for the enchantment aura. Enchant creature, enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and has lifelink. When it enters the battlefield, create a one, one vampire creature token with a lifelink. Legion Conquistador, he's back. Two and a white (laughs) for the two, two vampire soldier. When he enters the battlefield, search your library for any number of Legion Conquistadors. Grasping Scoundrel, single black for the 1-1 one, one human pirate. It gets plus 1, plus 0 oh, as long as it's attacking. Jade Bearer, single green for the 1-1 one, one, Merfolk Shaman. When it enters the battlefield, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on another target Merfolk you control. Buccaneer's Bravado, 1 in a red for the instant. Target creature gets plus 1, plus 1 and gains first strike until end of turn. Or target pirate gets plus 1, plus 1 and gains double strike until end of turn. Waterknot, one blue blue for the enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, tap target creature, or tap enchanted creature rather, and enchanted creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. 
Naturalize, one in a green for the instant. Destroy target artifact or enchantment. Highland Lake, that's the blue-red tapped duel. And Hornswoggle at uncommon. Two in a blue for the instant. Counter target creature spell. You create a colorless treasure artifact token with tap sack. Add a mana of any color to your mana pool. This is a really interesting pack. So if I've got my creature bounce spell and my bounce draw card spell in blue... I think this comes down to, is Strider Harness the new Pirate's Cutlass? Because if Strider Harness is the new Pirate Cutlass, I windmill slam it here. If it's not, I probably just take Water Knot. Now, I'm not crazy about the aura removal because of the amount of bounce there is, because of how main deckable I kind of think enchantment removal is. There's two pacifism effects in white. There's auras that are going to be buffing creatures that you're going to want to remove. There's Water Knot. Like, I think Water Knot kind of goes down in value a little bit with all of that floating around. So it sort of comes down to that for me. Like if Strider Harness is the new Cutlass, I would take it here. If water, if not, I'm going to take Water Knot. Yeah, I'm looking at three cards here because there's not really a good black or green card. Um, so I'm looking at Squire's Devotion, the plus one plus one lifelink aura, Strider Harness, and Water Knot. I think out of those, I think I think that Squire's Devotion is the best card. So I think yes. I would take that. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. And then that gives you like good little flexibility. I mean, we don't know if white green is going to be a deck but there's no reason why it couldn't be in this format and certainly it'd be nice to have squire's devotion and the sky marcher and go white black vamps i have a feeling i'm going to be ending up white a lot in the beginning because i have a feeling i'm going to value squire's devotion way higher than the rest of the world good that means you're going to get a lot of squire's devotions in your deck and you're going to win i know i hope so i hope that's the way it plays out (laughs) all right i think that's going to do it we I just can't wait to draft the set this week. I mean, I'm a little scared of how it's going to shake out, but I at least want to to get some firsthand knowledge about the format. You mean draft this set tomorrow? 1 p.m.? I can't draft it tomorrow. Wait, why not? I'm flying to South Carolina tomorrow. For- oh my god, that's brutal. <laughs> it's brutal, I know. I shipped my computer off. It gets there Tuesday. <laughs> what? <laughs> but I'm not going to get to draft tomorrow. So is this for an acting gig? Yeah, I'm doing a play down there for six weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah got the desktop mailed geez that's scary too i have the i requested the room in the house closest to the internet router so i can <laughs> i bought a 50 foot ethernet cable i am ready to go that is awesome <laughs> all right well if you've if you've got some phone internet you can tune in i will be streaming tomorrow for sure during my uh my layover i'm definitely going to be watching on my phone yeah all right that's a good place to wrap it up uh thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give it a listen january 15th is the end for vintage cube treasure hunt so it will be done by the time this episode goes live we had achievements for if you unlocked all of the following win the game with your opponent controlling no permanence infinite loop time walk which was elusive to me mind slaver lock your opponent win the game with storm count 15 or more and turn to eldrazi yeah i got all of those but infinite loop time walk also i think it was probably a mistake on our part to put that one on there yeah so yeah if you've got any of those hanging around tweet those screenshots at us at lords of limited and hashtag vc treasure hunt and if you're not on twitter email us those screenshots at lords of limited at gmail.com next week we will have our rivals of ixalan treasure hunt list available if you have any ideas for those you can get at us at our email address that ben just said lords of limited at gmail.com also tweet at us tweet at lords of limited tweet at lord tupperware for me tweet at ben for mr metronome Come hang out on our Twitch chats and let us know what you think the achievement should be. Twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware for me. Twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome for Ben. 
Yeah, if you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsalimited.gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Enjoy your first week of Rivals of Ixalan, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Yep, thanks everybody. See you later.